Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be super transparent with y'all. So I like this kind of offset. Um, I, I feel like I've been set up, and, and, and here's why: because we're we're two weeks after the amazing pastor Vanessa. I guess just preached the paint off the building. Like I, I saw that some things were still wet. And then y'all had this, I don't even know who that was who gave that spoken word, but I'm like, Lord, I can't say anything after her. Like, that was the most phenomenal thing I ever heard. Like, we should just invite her here to speak. Uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't just take a moment to honor um, your pastors, um, Pastor Fred, Pastor Vanessa. Um, this is unusual. Like, this is a miracle, just the testimony of how y'all even got in this space, the things that you've done over the past seven years, and your heart for the city of Newport News. It just encourages me, Pastor Fred. I know you're watching online. Shout out to everyone who's online, uh, whether you're on Facebook, Instagram, or somewhere in the metaverse. Um, <laughs> your pastor was one of the first people to, like, receive me when we stepped into the city. Um, so, like, we parachuted in. The housing market was crazy. Like, we were couch surfing. We were homeless. And Pastor Fred was one of the first people, like, hey, man, just let's, let's have lunch. Uh, I, I want to just talk to you, and, and he really pastors me. So, um, Fred, I, I know you're recovering. Uh, bounce back, but I love you, bro. Thank you so much for your service to our city and your service to me. Uh, as we're getting to know each other over the next half hour or so, I do want to say a couple of things. One, I'm, um, I'm more explainer than preacher. Um, I, I like to teach. I like to look thoroughly at my notes as soon as I get my iPad open. Um, but I am what you would call a hollaback preacher, too. Um, so, like, if you were to shout, like, that wouldn't alarm me. That would actually make me feel more comfortable. It might make this a little bit shorter. Um, if, if at any point, if at any point during the message I were to say something like, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, I would anticipate that all the husbands would say, amen. See, that's an alley-oop. I just threw that up there. Women's Appreciation Month husbands looking out for you. I want to talk today about what I believe is becoming my life message, um, that I think I've had some life experience, some circumstances, um, some divine settings, if you will, that um, have really informed the conversation that I want to have with you tonight, City Life. Um, we're going to talk about what it means to be an agent of reconciliation. Um, and what I mean by that, I think there's some places in Scripture where the apostles encourage the church, where Paul exhorts the church to don't be caught unaware of the enemy's schemes. Um, that the, the greatest thing the enemy can do to make the church ineffective is to have us battle each other. That God actually tells us, let your light so shine before men so they see your good works and what's the result? They'll give glory to your Father in heaven. And so a lot of the activity that we actually need to do is let. That informs me that we're actually spending time like hindering the work of God in our lives. That maybe if we just take a step back and embrace a kingdom mentality, then we can see more life change. We can see the world around us radically changed by the power of Jesus. So at our church, Manor Church in Newport News, we're in a series of talks called Age of Outrage. I don't know if y'all felt like everyone's triggered lately. Um, I don't know if the pandemic has something to do with that, like maybe too much time at home, maybe too much time in isolation. But it seems like things are so polarizing, like everything you see in the headlines, the media, wherever you look, there's someone arguing about something. And I think God has called his church with a very unique mission to go against the schemes of the enemy. See, if God's math is multiplication, that's what he called us to do, human beings. Be fruitful and multiply. That takes all of us. That takes everyone's ad adding. But if that's God's math, then division 
must be the math of the enemy. But before we jump into that, I, I want to show you um, my world. So we can throw a couple pictures up there. So there's, um, there's my smoking hot wife, as all the pastors say when they preach. That's my wife, Tasha. She's my island girl. She's from Hawaii. Uh, we met in the island of Texas while we were both uh, on active duty in the, in the Air Force. So that's how we met. She was printing ID cards, and I said, I'm going I'm to pursue you. And that led to my oldest, Amari. He just outgrew his mom this year, so that's a big feat for him. Um, he can reach things that are high for her. He can't quite open jars and stuff yet, but, you know, we'll get him in the weight room, get him right. So Amari, he made me a dad. On my side is my next son. His name is Kai Reese. He thinks he's Steph Curry. Um, like, he's been hearing that ever since he was a young guy, and all he wants to do is challenge me in basketball. And then, y'all, right in the center, is, is that, that's Princess Tierra. Y'all, when I tell you this girl has me in a bad way, so she made me a girl dad. Obviously, it took up a little bit of time. After we had two boys, we were like, we need to slow down because we're going to have to sacrifice one of them. And I don't know if it's going to be like Isaac or Esau. I don't, I don't know at this point. So I just got to get rid of one of these kids. And last but certainly not least is our pandemic baby. <laughs> her name is Gianna. We call her Gigi for short. She's the Mambasita. Yes, my wife let me name my daughter after Kobe Bryant's daughter. So I love my family. That's us, y'all. And yeah, can we clap for my girl? Because she's probably online watching this too. And I want to show you some more family photos. Let's just keep having this cool, nostalgic moment. That's my mom. Come on, mom. It's, it's women's appreciation. So my mom is uh, what we would call here in America a, a black woman. Um, I mean, if the leopard print sheets didn't give that away, <laughs> if you were there, you would probably smell the aroma of cocoa butter. I mean, she is a black woman, y'all. Like, I, I, I went to, like... Like missionary Baptist church, but then we would like slide out to the Pentecostal services too. So that's just just how I grew up. Just want you to know what you're dealing with. And there are a few of her grandkids with grandma. She lives in Columbus, Georgia. We can show the next picture. This is my dad. His name is Roy Halliday. He is what we would call a white man. And there we are opening Christmas gifts with a couple of my, well, there's my niece. So that's Savannah. Uh, there's my sister-in-law, Melissa. I have a black brother, a black sister, and I have two white brothers. And then there was me. It was the 80s. People were partying. I showed up. <laughs> and my dad to this day is not safe. He does not know Jesus. So when I was growing up, he lived in New York. He was a software editor for IBM. So I would leave Columbus, Georgia in the South, learning all the things about the, the Jesus and then I would go spend time with my dad who told me that my imaginary friend was not real. Like that, that was just my upbringing because I want to inform you with the perspective that I approach life and, and, and the world and how Scripture has actually informed how I see people. So if we can go to the next picture, just, just walking this out. So these, these are my in-laws. So that is my father-in-law. His name is Joseph, and that is my mother-in-law. Her name is Frances. Joe is, what is he? He's half Spanish, half Portuguese. And Cece, she is Samoan and Filipina. So our kids, I don't know what you would call them. We call them cute. Like, that's, I, I don't know how you would classify them. I just see them and I love them, and, and that's just the world I live in. And so this kind of caused me to do a little bit of research. So if we can pull this up, because I had to get to the bottom of what was going on in my family. If we can pull this next image up. 
Uh, y'all heard of like 23andMe and Ancestry.com. So like I, I did a little swab and I wanted to find out because my kids were asking me questions like, hey, dad, like, are you black? Am I black? What does that mean? And I'm like, well, son, let's get to the bottom of this. Uh, <laughs> according to the data, we're tw- this is mine. So I'm 25% Scottish. That's how you get a black man with a name like Riley Halliday. (laughs) That's the only way. The providence of God is the only way that can happen. But obviously, you see I'm represented. We got Cameroon, Congo, Western Bantu peoples. We outside. Then we got England and Northwestern Europe, 18%. Nigeria is coming in, representing with 16% of my DNA. Benny and Tongo. I got some German in me. Did not know that until we took this test. Then we got Molly representing Spain. I'm Spanish, y'all. So, I mean, that that explains a lot of things that I've come to discover about myself over the years, particularly my taste in women. And then I look at Ireland. So Ireland is represented. There's 2% Irish. So happy St. Paddy's to my Irish folks. Okay. We we usually get a couple Irish out there. And then we got, you know, Ivory Coast and and Ghana. Um, And then if we go to this next image, I want to show you something. This is where my DNA has been over the years. So um, you see some like that, that the lower hemisphere there and then what's happening in America that's slavery um that explains how that portion of my DNA journey traveled and then way up there I'm like is that Sweden like you mean I got some Vikings like I don't even like the cold when I saw them flurries Chris house bro like when I almost didn't come here <laughs> I'm like can I send them a video message Vanessa I mean like, I don't know but I, I got all the bread and milk and the eggs we're gonna have french toast in the morning before service it's gonna be a really good time Sorry, this ain't part of the message, but I just realized it as I was looking at those. According to those percentages, I am 51% white or of European ancestry and 49% of African-American ancestry. So fun fact, I'm more white than I am black. So here we go. We are going to dive into a passage of scripture that I believe is going to inform how we need to operate, what we need to model to the world around us. Because as we live in this age of outrage, I think the church is called to lead from the middle. Um, I think there's actually strength in the tension of not wanting to simply fold. Like, we, we don't want to, like, let people run over us, but we don't want to let people go. We don't want to lose people because last time I checked, our job is to make it hard to go to hell. Like, like, if people end up there, it won't be because we're slacking on our job. So we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, from now on. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. And so that, the flesh, he's talking about their external appearances. We don't look at people that way. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, remember he came in an appearance that they were like, whoa, are you sure you're the Messiah? Because this is, this is very humble. Like We need someone who's going to overthrow the Roman Empire, and that really doesn't look like you. And since you don't look like what we think you should look like, you clearly can't be the guy. That's who Paul is writing to. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You mean in a divided world, the church is supposed to be the solution? That is not the political party, it's not the the campaign, it's not the the great agenda or getting this one law passed. You mean the fact that we gather together under the name of Jesus and we sing songs about him and give him the praise that he deserves, that will actually bring people together? 
I don't know. I'm just reading what Paul said. So he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So this is God's work. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Y'all, sometimes you might be the answer to your own prayer request. Like there's a lot of time we ask God for things and he's like, yeah, I sent you. You're the answer to racism in your country. And so maybe we have to get up off the bench that we sit and listen to sermons every week and get in the game and change the world. I'm looking at life change right now. We're his ambassadors. For our sake, he made him, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So real quick right there, I got a couple of of thoughts I would like to submit to you on this this ministry. Apparently, this is what the church is supposed to be doing. Uh, Like, this is our job. Some thoughts on reconciliation. First and foremost, reconciliation has two parts for my note takers out there. There's repentance and forgiveness. Without both, I want to be clear, without both, we don't have reconciliation. So I can't just say I'm sorry. That'll just leave me over here being sorry. And I can't just say, well, I released that person, but I don't want to talk to him. Like, that, that's not how it works. That doesn't bring us together. And so if we're going to embrace this ministry, we may have to let go of some of the things that we feel are our rights in order to fulfill the great commission, the task that God has called us to do. And when we're talking about forgiveness, again, I just want to be real clear here because I wanted to find forgiveness the way Paul just gave it to us. He said God did not count their trespasses against them. So forgiveness, and I know this is hard, so God's going to give you the grace. And whenever you don't have something, you need to go to God to get it. Like forgiveness is a miracle. You don't have it in you to forgive anybody. So the fact that you can, you need to give God some praise for that because he has done the miraculous. And if you're struggling with unforgiveness, if you're struggling with some bitterness, that's okay. Because naturally you can't do it, so go to the throne of mercy. Go to God and ask him to help you. Our God is faithful, and he will help you embrace this ministry. I want to cross-reference this with um, a passage in Ecclesiastes. Uh, that's in the Old Testament. Saul, or, um, Solomon, he was going through some things. Um, he, he experimented a lot. Um, he invented the turnip, and this is what he came to a conclusion. Ecclesiastes verse four, or chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And see, as Solomon's writing this, he's writing from the vantage point of theology. This is why we need to, like, study the Bible and, like, be in the Word of God, because, like, if if we're here on our level, like, if, if we're down here, you, you can't see the full picture when you're in it. And so theology allows us to step up and to get God's vantage point and be like, you know what, God, you really do have a good point about this. I, didn't, I never looked at it that way. And so that's why we need to read the Word. We need to spend time engaging God through Scripture, and he will speak to us. And so what he told Solomon, he's giving him his perspective. God is saying, look, I see all of this. I, I, I see your tears. Th- those are inventoried in heaven. 
like all of your prayers, all of your tears, God counts them. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And what God is saying here is like, I want to bring healing. I want to bring peace. I want to wipe away your tears. And the way I'm going to do it is through the relationships around you. See, God has what we need. That comes vertically. Our primary relationship is a vertical relationship with God. But the way that we experience a lot of the blessings, the favor, the gifts that he has for us, y'all, it's going to come horizontally through our relationships with people. And so the key here is that their comfort, the comfort of the oppressed and the oppressor comes from each other. It's the strength of the tension. And, and the oppressed is comforted by the repentance of the person in power. So that coach who yelled at you, the dad who, who left you, when you feel oppressed by a relationship, you get released from that when that person says, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I repent. I want to make this right. That's when the oppressors feel relief. And the same thing for the oppressor, for the person who is um, pro projecting this, this hurt and this pain. That person feels comforted by the forgiveness of the oppressed. So even though they have the power, even though everything seems like it's good, they are not feeling good on the inside. Their soul is being tormented because they need to get that comfort from the very people that they are oppressing. Y'all, this is the mystery of the kingdom. This is why it's so important for us to be quick to forgive. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That doesn't work, y'all. And so don't carry that around. Release it and put that person back in God's hands where he can judge and he can do what's right. And the key here is I think most people actually never consider that the one in power needs comfort. Like, it's kind of easy, especially like when you're not the one in power. When like, when you're, when you're looking over at someone else and they have all these things or they have this great job or whatever that looks like, and, and you've been victimized by them, you feel like, yeah, they, they just got it all together. must be nice to be them. And you never stop and pause and think about the fact that they might actually need comfort. Y'all ever hear of this term called white guilt? And it's not about white people, uh, just to be clear. Uh, white guilt is like... I'll use a military term. So there's this thing called like survivor's remorse where you lost a buddy in combat, but you made it home and now you're carrying this weight like, man, why did they have to suffer and, and, and I, I'm here? Like, and so even though you're experiencing something good, you can't enjoy it because of this guilt, this, this weird sense of guilt you have. And again, I'm not an expert in dads, but I've been a dad for at least 13 years now. And I think every dad in the room, we can acknowledge there's some places in our lives where we have regret. Like, there, there are some, some things you wish you could take back. Maybe you said something in a heated moment where you were angry or, 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 or you wish that it didn't play out the way it did. And as you look back over your life, you wish you could change some things. That is this term. That's this white guilt. And you need to be released from that. You need to be reconciled. And that's going to take you being humble enough to say, son, I'm sorry I yelled at you. Daddy repents. That was wrong. Will you forgive me? And in that moment, y'all, this is the miracle of God. My 13-year-old son can release me. He can bring comfort to me, but I have to humble myself. So again, the strength is in the tension. In the church, we have to be the ones to lead from the middle. No one else is going to do this, y'all. You know why? They don't have the capacity. If we believe what we believe, 
We can only live the Christian life because we're filled with the Spirit. So then why would we expect people who aren't to make moral and ethical decisions? <laughs> that is a miracle in and of itself that they got to the right conclusion. <laughs> so we can't look to them, y'all. They need to look to us. We have to model the way. So reconciliation, again, just diving into this, reconciliation is vertical with God. That's repenting of your sins. That's being forgiven because you can't give people something you don't got. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, you have to go to God first. You need to receive forgiveness so you can model that and give that to other people. And reconciliation then is horizontal. It's with our fellow man. That's repenting when you need to re repent and being forgiven for your sins against other people. Like, sometimes we hurt people, and then we go ask God to forgive us. And he does. But he's going to bring the comfort by you having that hard talk with that person that you offended. <laughs> And it's okay. I mean, you can put it off and you can wait and you can wait, but if you want to experience the comfort that comes from God, it's going to come through people. And this is, this is touchy. Um, but there's a, a, a theological term. Um, it's called identificational repentance. And um, it's amazing what it does. You can actually repent on behalf of your father's. And here's how I want to couch it for you, because I understand that why should I say I'm sorry for something I didn't do? I get that. Like, I don't just go around apologizing for, for sins I didn't commit. But what if the very act of you doing that would bring comfort to a people and them forgiving you would actually bring comfort to you? Would that awkward moment of you, uh, all right, I, I guess I'll put this aside. I don't think this is right, and I'll just apologize for something I didn't do over 400 years ago. If you just did that and it would bring people together, isn't that worth it? That is a ministry that we're given. Y'all, this happens in the Bible. We see leaders like Nehemiah stand up and repent on behalf of all the sins of all the people who came before him. We see Solomon, Daniel. They repent for the sins of their forefathers. And what I want you to understand, city life, is that reconciliation always has two manifestations. We're going to see it played out in two ways. There's going to be a message of reconciliation, something that we need to say. And then there's a ministry of reconciliation. That's something we got to do. Y'all, we got to do this if we want to see it. We can just wait till Jesus comes back if y'all want to do that. But I'm just telling you, this is what he's called us to do. This is part of our job. So we're going to look at these verses again, but I want us to dive into this letter to Ephesians, looking at a couple of verses in, chap verses in chapter 2, where Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh— called the uncircumcised. And um, I think sometimes when we read that, it's easy to gloss over and you're like, okay, yeah, I don't, why are they calling them uncircumcised? That, think of that as the ancient N-word. So the Jewish Christians would call the non-Jewish Christians from a different people group. You don't look like us. Your culture's different. Even though we worship the same God and we actually go to the same place to worship. But y'all are the uncircumcised. And they would call them that. And look what happens. Look at how that action generated a response. You Gentiles in the flesh call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. You know what that means? It means that when the Jewish Christians started calling the Gentile Christians uncircumcised, they said, well, fine, y'all are the circumcised. And so now you get into the, some of the first derogatory terms in the early church. 
Like Jesus, he's only been in heaven maybe a couple of decades, and now we're doing this. (laughs) We cussing each other out in service because we're from different people groups. And again, y'all saw my, my ancestry, so it's like a UN meeting when we have dinner and like breakfast and stuff. And City Life, if you believe what we believe, we're talking about one couple in one garden, right? And even further, we're talking about one family that got out of one boat. So I want to be very clear. I understand the political rhetoric. I understand how you, what you learned in school. Y'all, there's one race. It's human. Now, there are different ethnic backgrounds. There are different people groups, but we're all the same people, y'all. We need to stop letting some of this stuff divide us because the enemy is taking too much ground by us being petty. We need to embrace this ministry, which is made in the flesh by hands. And again, we don't regard people that way. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, remember that vertical relationship? Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Check that out. The uncircumcised, the Jews and the Gentiles, one people. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two so making peace. What I would propose, City Life, is the longer we continue to use language that's divisive, we won't experience this. We won't step into this. And where this gets personal for me is Growing up in school, like I got to the point where I would start taking those standardized tests, and I'm an I'm a old head. Um, at one point, I only had a, one option I could pick, black or white. And so for me, I mean, I, I get it. Like, I, I look black. Got it. I'll pick that one. But who do you want me? You really want me to vote my dad off the island? And by the time I got to high school, they said, pick all that apply. So again, hey, we progressed a little bit. I, f- I feel better about this. But the conversation for me, it wasn't just black and white. It was a matter of keeping my family together. So how can I just let one person slide for the sake of the other? No, I think the strength is in the tension. Like, we need to fight for this. We need to fight for together because we're family, regardless of where we're from. All right, y'all get me off topic. I got to stay, stay on track, stay on track. For he himself is our peace. He broke down the dividing walls of hostility, abolishing the law, so making peace, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, what I love about that, it removes a lot of the political rhetoric. It has to be the church. Like when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and like it's one way, y'all. If we want to see our world change, if we want to see our, our, our city united, it's going to be the church that leads the way, and I dare say we have to lead from the middle. So I want to equip you with a couple things. Again, I don't want to just preach to you. I want to explain. I want to give you some resources. I want to give you the profile of an agent of reconciliation. What does this look like? And Paul actually gives it to us in the letter to the Philippian church. So at first he's going to give us the goal What's the point of, of, of being an agent of reconciliation? And then he's going to dive into the profile. So verse 1 through 4, we're going to look at the goal. 
He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, remember, this is about comfort, comfort to the oppressed and comfort to the oppressor. Any participation in the Spirit. So again, you love God, right? You worship Him. Do you, if that's true, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Ooh, that's a tough word, Apostle Paul. Because naturally, I think about me and mine. I mean, I showed you a picture of my family. Like, don't, don't try me and mine. But I think that may be the issue when it comes to racism, if I may. That it's not simply a skin issue. It's a sin issue. See, sin is when we put ourselves ahead of other people. And it's through serving. It's through thinking about other people first. It's by being a part of this missional community where you go out and you serve our city and you, and you create this environment where people who are far from God can be brought close to his presence. It's when you do that that you're actually transformed. And, and so we can't continue to think about ourselves first and then our family and then people who look familiar <laughs> That's the way of the world. That's our natural way of thinking. What we have to model to the world is I'm not going to champion my own causes. I'm going to champion yours. I'm going to get out here and get behind what you're dealing with. I'm going to champion your issue. I'm going to get behind you. I'm going to support you. I'm not going to defend myself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The church should be a place of connection, a place of comfort, a, a place where people can find a common culture. That's the kingdom culture. The kingdom is diverse. Like, I, I love the picture we see in Revelation where around the throne of Jesus, we see people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. So they're all worshiping God, and it all ain't English. <laughs> That's the goal, y'all. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're building. God didn't simply save us so that we can one day go to heaven he saved us so we can be a part of the church and we can bring heaven to earth. And so when people step into these doors, City Life, they get a glimpse of heaven. They get to hear the sound of heaven. It's because of the way you worship God. And now Paul gives us the profile. In verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's telling us to think the way he thinks. And notice that Jesus in his own ministry here on the earth he said, I only say what I hear my father saying, and I only do what I see the father doing. So that's the way Jesus operated. Then maybe we got to suspend some of our opinions. Maybe we got to suspend some of our emotional reactions. Maybe the way we grew up. Maybe if we spend more time getting God's perspective, we will see change in our world. Who, verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So let me be clear, Jesus, fully God, fully man, he was divine, but he let go his rights as God the Son. When, when he came here, born of a virgin, when he lived a perfect life, and when he died a scandalous death, trading places with us, those of us who respond to who he is, he let go of all of his rights. He let go of heaven so he can come rescue us. And so he never defended himself. He said, Father, you'll defend me. I don't have to stand up for my rights. You got that. I trust you. Yeah, I'll walk out of this garden, and it wasn't easy. Jesus sweated to the point that he was bleeding. He, he was stressed out. For the first time in history, 
He was going to be separated from the Father. That never happened, y'all. But Jesus said, for them, I'll let go of my rights. I should never experience a moment where I can't hear from my Father. Because I'm perfect. I've never sinned. I even came down here and did it the way y'all got to do it. You don't think I was tempted, but I didn't sin? Not once. Not one bad thought. Not one impure motive. And you're going to rob me of the presence of my Father? But God, for them, I'll do it. I'll do anything to be in relationship with them. That's the God that we worship. So we have to grasp that spirit from him. And we need to look at people around us. I know y'all got people in your lives who are hard to love. Everybody got a crazy uncle. (laughs) But if you really want to see that person change, y'all, there may be some places by God's grace, as you're prompted by his spirit, we may have to let go of some of the things that we think we're right about. Sorry, just thinking about Jesus gets me choked up. He didn't grasp his divine rights, verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, championing someone else's cause. He's like, you know what? I'll identify with humanity. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Using his power, his influence, his resources, he used that to help people who were weaker, people who were stuck without hope by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what's the result? Verse 9, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what happens when we let go of our rights for someone who's stuck. We're going to have the political talk. Um, because I think it's easy for us to get this, like, we read the word and we're like, all right, God, yeah, I know we're supposed to be together. But then the political conversation comes out and you find out someone that you're in a small group with, like, oh, you're, you're a Democrat, oh, you're a Republican, and suddenly it's Bloods and Crips. <laughs> White people, yes, y'all were gangbanging before Mexicans and black people. It's Bloods and Crips all of a sudden because you voted one type of way and I voted this way. And it even bleeds over into the church. Y'all did hear this. Y'all worship on Saturday. Y'all are so so ahead of the game. (laughs) But Sunday morning is notoriously the most segregated day of the week. Because either you're Baptist or you're Pentecostal. (laughs) And so we're divided. The, The one organism, the church... That's supposed to be united behind the name of Jesus. We look a hot mess every Sunday morning, don't we? In fact, Jamal, would y'all help me with this illustration? Because I really want y'all to to see what this is like. You can come on up to the stage, bro. Come on. I say we 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 need two. I, I I need yeah. Come on, you're up. Stand right here. Travis is in the house. Right here is good. That's perfect. No, you're good. You're good, man. This is interactive. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> what I want to communicate to you, City Life, is sometimes when I think our heartbeat, I think our intent is like we think that we're leading, and what we're actually doing is leaving. 
See, when you, when you fight to, to lead from the middle, here's what it looks like. Now we're united. Now we're together. We are a single unit. And what the enemy wants to do is to divide us. But he can't divide us when we're like this. I mean, we're, we're, we're close to each other. Like, I know what kind of like deodorant you wear. You, sm you smell great. Tell you what. Like, worship had me sweaty, so I'm just saying. <laughs> and so if I'm doing life like this, then when I hear things like young black man gets shot by cops, then my heart breaks for, for my black brother because I identify with you, and I, and I know that pain. Like, I, I was quail hunting this week. Y'all saw my mom. This is so funny. There were three other black pastors on this hunting trip. We were in Oklahoma, so shout out to the Black Wall Street shirt there, Chris House. We were in Tulsa, and then we drove about 30 minutes to this place called Delaware to go quail hunting. And as we were talking, just a bunch of pastors being vulnerable, you know the mamas of all the black pastors checked in on them, saying things like, honey, drop a pen and take a picture of everyone who's in that house. We, we don't know each other. All we know is we all started leading churches over the past 12 months, and we all had that same experience. So my heart breaks when I hear stuff like that. But at the same time, because we're doing life together, Travis, I know all white people ain't racist. So I'm not going to leave you, but here's what the enemy does. He wants you to pick a side, and every time you pick a side, you divide. That is the scheme of the enemy. That's, the, that's bringing the wall of hostility right back. And I get Christians. Y'all are bold. So I know what you'll say. Like, Riley, we're supposed to pick a side. We're supposed to stand on the truth. We're supposed to stand up for the gospel. May I submit this to you? That we do stand up like Jesus. Because I recall a Savior who was hung on a cross. That we just read about who was promoted, who was given the name above all names. And he stood. And you know where he stood? In the middle. <laughs> Between someone who would believe in him and someone who would reject him. And Jesus said, Father, I will stay stuck right here as long as it takes. That crucifixion, that didn't kill Jesus. It was when the wrath of the Father was poured out. That's what killed Jesus. He would have been hanging up there right now because our God was that good. And so we need to be willing to do it. Thank you, gentlemen, for the illustration. We need to be willing to stay in the middle, to fight for people to fight for relationships. That's what the world is looking for, and they're only going to find that in the church. No one else has the capacity to do it because they do not carry the presence of God. So I want to make this practical, and then we're going to land the plane right here. I'm an Air Force cat, so here we go. Five steps. I want to give you five steps to becoming an agent of reconciliation. Step number one, invite your friends from another culture, because this ain't about scanning. Really, the issue is a clash of culture. So you should invite your friends from another culture into your inner circle. Create a safe space to ask the awkward questions. Like, why do y'all put so much seasoning on y'all's food? And how come y'all don't? <laughs> That's a safe space to do that in your small group, the people you're doing life with. And get ready to repent. <laughs> because you're going to not know everything. You're going to step on some cultural landmines. You don't know everything it is about this particular people group. So, uh, my bad. I'm sorry. Like, and y'all have been deployed. I've eaten some things that are weird <laughs> because I do not want to offend my host. Because the relationship was more valuable <laughs> than me being right about my dietary consumption. <laughs> and so we need to be ready to repent and then receive and learn. Make that your posture. Be a lifelong learner. Never assume that you know more about someone else's issue than they do. <laughs> I can tell you how many times. I love my dad. 
why do black people? I'm like, well, dad, uh, if, you know what? Just when we leave here, if you see somebody who looks like me, never say that to them. Like, because <laughs> I got grace for you. <laughs> we need those safe spaces. We, we, we need to be able to receive and, and process and learn. Step two, we need to seek to enter the inner circle of your friends of a different culture. So it ain't just about you. Remember, that's the way of the world. But when we think of others first, now we're embracing the way of the kingdom. So, yeah, get invited to that house. Go to the service in Espanol and just check it out. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what's going on, but I can definitely sense the presence of God. And maybe you might pick up a word or two. Find a way to get in the room, get in the setting. Take the natural open door. So, again, I just want to help some people out. Don't be weird like, um, well, there, Jamal, I'm looking for a black brother to, um, you know, hang out with on Thursdays night. Like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but if you and Jamal happen to, like, play disc golf or something and that leads to another conversation, then y'all start doing lunch. And then you say, man, you know, it's really been on my heart, man. I hate when I see these, these, these shootings in these schools. Why, wh- how do you feel about that? Generate the conversation. Take the natural road and get ready to forgive. Because when you step into someone else's circle, it's an away game. (laughs) They are going to say things that offend you. You might get roasted. And just be ready to release forgiveness. Don't take it so personal. You're not that big of a deal anyway. I mean, seriously, so God loves you. He died for you. But he leads you in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. He's the big deal, not you. You're not that special. So stop taking things so personally. Step three, prepare for internal conflict and conviction. So your feelings are going to get hurt. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal things to you. This is what he does. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. He's going to let you know, like, yeah, you came in a little too heavy-handed. You might want to adjust some things. And you can't tear down walls without getting hit by falling debris. Y'all, if we're going to tear down these walls of hostility, iron sharpens iron, sparks fly in that process, Okay. So just embrace the process. Know what's going to happen. Have a mutual thing. Married couples, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like every, every day in a honeymoon, it's like, girl, I don't even like you right now. But that girl is shaping me for eternity with Jesus. And so I'm going to stay committed to the relationship that we have because that's the promise we made. And step four, become a student of culture. Christians should not be culturally ignorant. I'm, I'm telling you because, again, I've deployed. I've had some military experience. You can't just step into a place, oh, I'm going to shake them with my right hand. Uh, do you know what they do with that hand? Like, you just need to know some things. Become a student because that's, a, that's an approach of humility. When you're willing to learn what you're saying is, yeah, I don't know everything. What you're really saying is I'm not God. And so I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to be taught. I'm willing to be exposed to some things. I'm willing to be developed. And last but certainly not least, listen, listen, listen. Because some of y'all been white your whole life. So <laughs> I want to invite the worship team back up, and I'm going to give you the fifth step. This is the last step to becoming an agent of reconciliation. Seek opportunities. Because, again, it's one thing to have all the steps, but if you don't actually put it in practice, Um, If you're not looking for ways to work on the skill to develop it, then you won't do it. Seek out ways to live a life of reconciliation. That means live out your conviction. That means put other people's rights ahead of your own. Find out what their interests are. And what happens when you ask God to use you? Again, I just want to give you a heads up. You're going to feel used. You're going to feel abused. Like, really? Seven times? Seventy times? Yeah. 
And here's the thing, when, when you withdraw all of you from your account, God deposits his grace. And so learn to live on E. Learn to live in that place. Like you can't see the miraculous if you don't actually go to the point where you need a miracle. If you don't actually step to that Red Sea, I'm like, all right, God, you got to do something here. If you never step down in that valley with that giant. Because when the enemy attacks you, he has to expose himself. He has to make himself vulnerable. And when the enemy does that, y'all, our God is faithful. Our God always delivers. Our God always comes through. And that's why he deserves our praise. So I want to pray for you, City Life. Y'all do me a favor, bow your heads. And let me pray for you. God, would you help us come into this place of unity? Help us to embrace the, the message of reconciliation. God, as carriers of your presence, may we continue to, to carry the good news about who you are, the good news about what you've done, the fact that you've ended this hostility, that you've called us to be in relationship with you. We're reconciled to our Father because of the work of Jesus. But not only that, God, you've given us the ministry of reconciliation that we're to make the relationships around us right, that we're supposed to be carriers of peace. Jesus, you taught us, you said, blessed are the peacemakers. So God, that takes you. In this moment, Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh? Would you give us the grace to go and live lives of reconciliation by your grace and for your glory in Jesus' name? Stand to your feet, City Life. Let's worship together.